For Teenage Girls, I'm Bee Highland. I'll be your host, as per usual. Happy to announce that we are officially on a weekly posting schedule of every Friday. That's very exciting to have figured out. Anyway, this week I'll be talking to an old friend of mine, Pooja Tanjor. She's an incredible activist who I met while campaigning in 2016 and 2017. She's one of the smartest, most accomplished people I know, and she is my age, which is mind-blowing to me. She's absolutely insanely good. So I hope you enjoy this interview. We recorded it inside of a grocery store because the coffee shop was um, was closed down. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the beautiful ambiance in the background, but this is really worth listening to. Pooja is one of the smartest, most talented people I've ever met in my life. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get this started. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, so hi, I'm Pujitha Tanjore. I am a 16-year-old from Northern Virginia, and I am the Virginia State Director for the organization Rise to Run. Um, we train young women to run for office. Cool, cool, cool. So, Pujitha, what are you going to talk about today? Uh, we can talk about anything from civic engagement to mental health and what it means to be an activist. Um, preferably, I'd actually really like to talk about mental health. <laughs> All right, let's go into that. Let's go into that. Um, so, what in the topic of mental health is most important to you right now? Mm -hmm. So I think recently a lot of what I've been thinking about is um, how do you find balance while simultaneously being an activist and being in the grassroots? Because especially in Virginia where we've got an election every year, um, it's, I mean, it's a struggle. And you, I mean, you get this, we've worked on campaigns together and yeah. you sort of feel like the fate of the world is running on your shoulders and mm -hmm. therefore you want to be at everything and do everything. And the same can be said for the grassroots, which is not necessarily considered uh, formal campaigning. So when you're working in the grassroots, there are actually quite a few events that you'll get invited to. Um, and what I've observed as one of the, actually one of the youngest people in the grassroots here is um, I'll actually get invited to quite a few events on Facebook and stuff. And it's a bit of a struggle just because um, there is this sort of lack of understanding that I've got high school. So there will be yeah. certain events that are given to me that are, you know, in the middle of the day. And it's unfortunate because I have to say, oh, like, I'm sorry, I'll be in AP biology class at that point in my day. And um, it's not necessarily me wanting to say no, but it's having to. Um, and then on yeah. top of that, when you get home and you sort of start your homework and you get into things, obviously, like, B, you probably get this. You want to be doing the work. You yeah. want to be out there doing grassroots work or for you doing... Um, things within your field, so things yeah. like this, doc like documentaries and podcasts and filmmaking, and um, but unfortunately, you sort of have to be part of the system yeah. before you can reform the system. So we're all sort of stuck in high school when you and I both know that there's a lot more that we can be doing. Yeah, definitely. Like part of the reason I ended up stopping campaigning, mm -hmm. like I, I love campaigning. I oh, love yeah. doing grassroots. I'm organizing stuff right now. Even mm -hmm. that after I've quit, yeah, in, in air quotes, <laughs> um, it's just because of like the huge strain it put on me personally because mm -hmm. um, during uh, we both worked on Ralph Northam's campaign for governor last year um, I was working like 30 plus hours a week yeah. during the school year and like during like a, a brief medical issue mm -hmm. and I just I felt so guilty not being able to do the work at the same time yeah, I get that. so it's definitely like this 
issue with not just campaign culture, but with the way that people, I don't want to say like, I know you're. Oh, shoot, darn. Like, it's just part of, I guess, American culture at this point, wherein yeah. people are just expected to be doing everything at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and I completely agree with that. I think that, I mean, I sort of lucked out in that when dealing with mental health issues um, and dealing with a lack of balance and a lack of outlet, campaigning and politics became that for me. So, yeah. um, I was lucky, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky enough to say that public speaking and big events like that are sort of what make me happy and they're what light a fire in me. But there's also that sort of anticipation anxiety that can really get to you um, leading up to events. Um, but once you get there, I mean, it seems like it's all worth it. But when it comes to being an activist, it is a lot of holding the weight of the world on your shoulders. And that is really destructive in its nature. Because although very true and although can help you, help motivate you, um, it's really hard for young people to step back and say, you know what, I need to take care of myself. I mean, and, and to a certain extent, I think that it's adults not validating the fact that we need to step back and take care of ourselves and sort yeah. of saying, oh, this is a young person's job, which a lot of it is, but sort of saying, as young people, you're completely capable of knocking like hundreds of miles in doors and making hundreds and thousands of phone calls a day while simultaneously doing schoolwork. And, um, you know, you can, you're capable of being at the office every day till 12 and waking up at 5 a.m. the next day to do it all over again. And like that expectation really taught me how to work. Um, I've never worked harder than I have on a campaign and it directly translated to my work ethic in high school. So to an extent it's healthy, but when it translated what I saw in academia was that I was still overworking myself. Um, yeah. And it, it really got to the point where, it, so um, I've just finished junior year, as have you. Yes. Um, and I don't know if this is how you feel about it either, uh, or I don't know if this is how you feel about it too, but it all feels like one very large blur. Yeah. Like I've, I'm completely unable to recollect the things that I have accomplished over this year. And the funny thing is, I know that it's my most accomplished year, right? Like this is the year that I've worked harder than I've ever worked in my whole life. Um, with school, you know, I took like took five APs and on top right. of it, yeah, like, and I run two nonprofits and on top of that, I run an international summit and did model UN and it's like, I was still trying to have hobbies and maintain friendships and uh, you know keep myself healthy. And it was weird because I don't actually remember ever saying no to events. I was kind of always at everything all the time. And it was just, I didn't say no, which I mean, looking back on it, like knowing that I was capable of work that, uh, of working that hard makes me happy that I did it to that extent because it taught me what I'm capable of. And it honestly taught me that I don't have limits. Um, but reflecting, I don't really remember my junior year. And now that I'm moving to Germany, I don't exactly have anything to look back on, Yeah, um, which is unfortunate. Definitely. No, I understand that. Um, like, part of it for me, like, this year was definitely a struggle for me academically, mm -hmm. I suppose, just because of, like, everything was happening at once, mm -hmm. I guess, in terms of, like, work and art and yeah. school. Um, and one of those things, unfortunately, sort of fell through, ultimately, and that was school, just due to chance. But there's, like, there's not really a clear path as to why everything feels strange about mm -hmm. the last year or so. He's, um, like you just said, <laughs> you're a very, like, hardworking person, but I feel like there are points when we push ourselves to this point. Yeah. Um, just to see if we can. And I believe that in part is, a lot of it is like trying to prove ourselves as capable yeah. of doing like the same 
the same things an adult can do. Oh, for sure. But like, and we completely can, but it's a matter of like we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to, yeah. and we're also like actually doing work for eight hours a day in school as yeah, well as yeah. outside of it. And I mean, I think that like. I think to a certain extent it is important that we show the world what we're capable of. But I think that, and I recently gave a speech on this, um, we should be allowed to be childish, right? Like yeah. that, that word childish should be redefined. It should not, no, it, it no longer is anything negative. I mean, with our childish nature comes this ability for us to knock down paradigms and to do big things fearlessly in the face of adversity and to literally take over the world. Like that childish fearlessness is what makes us us. It makes us the best activists out there. But unfortunately, the grassroots tends to really value that aspect of our childish nature, but they don't value the other side of it, which is the unfortunate reality of we are kids. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have certain limitations, but it means that there are nuances in our schedule and we have curfews and we have to be certain places at certain times and school has to come first sometimes. And like, there's this, there's definitely like, everyone in your life from every aspect of your life is going to think that you should be putting their thing first, right? So teachers think you should be putting school first and everyone in the grassroots think you should be putting grassroots first and everyone in your clubs thinks that you should be putting your clubs first and it's like not everything is allowed to come first. Um, and honestly, I think what I've realized at the end of the day is when everyone else thinks that they should come first, what you need to do is put yourself first. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult and I definitely have not mastered the art of doing things um, where I put myself first and I don't necessarily want to be the kind of person that does that all the time yeah, but, but I think there are certain moments in which it's important to recognize and accept what you need and accept that maybe there's some unease in your life and you're feeling a little bit unbalanced and that it's important to step back be okay with the silence breathe and then get up and keep fighting because we're young like we can't burn out the same way that adults can because adults are sort of allowed to burn out at some point because eventually they can stop working but yeah. for us that's 40, 50, 60 years down the road, I mean, for me, this is an endless fight. Like, this fight to do good in the world is endless, and so I want to make sure that my energy is sustainable. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an endless hunt there. Yeah, and within that endless hunt, like you said, there need to be moments of quiet, moments of calm, and, like, in modern America, that's obviously very difficult yeah. because of 24-hour news cycle and terrible regime and yeah. all that, but then we, that in it in and of itself, it requires, and the term is a bit overplayed at this point, but it requires self-care, yes. right? Um, so how do you practice self-care <laughs> as it, like, exists in the stereotypical image of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely learned to be the kind of person that... Uh, doesn't necessarily rely on other people for my outlets. Um, just because I find that people, we're all, we all mistakes and we all make mistakes and we have imperfections. And a lot of that means that people are really unreliable. And I don't mean to be a pessimist because I am very much so a realist with a great deal of optimism. Um, but I mean, it's generally true, right? Like you can't rest your happiness on other people, um, at least not solely on other people. So for me, yoga has really been my outlet. Um, I know that's cliche and I know that's like very, millennial thing it's a very millennial thing to say but like I am an Indian American like I come from Hindu roots I have yoga that runs in my blood it is something it's very much so part of my culture I wear an om around my neck every day and I have since I was six and like I'm very much so into the spirituality of things um and that for me is helpful especially because I practice hatha yoga which if you don't know is uh slow flow yoga and 
it gives me a moment to allow myself to be silent um, and still. And it's funny because my uh, teacher jokes that um, people just pay for her to let them take a nap. And to an extent, that's kind of true, right? Because you, like you said, in like modern American society, we need to feel productive even when we want to be unproductive. And so we do things like yoga to say we're yogis and therefore have accomplished something in our quest to accomplish nothing. Um, but I mean, I try and do yoga uh, in its most active form. And then I also do my best to paint and engage in artwork. I think it's really important to be creative. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe it's a kid thing, but maybe it's also just a me thing. I see the world in a really colorful light. Yeah. Um, and it sucks to me, to put, put it eloquently, um, that maybe other people don't see it in, uh, in, such, in, in a similarly vibrant way. Uh, so I try and, try and convey that as much as I can. I don't know. Sorry if these answers are getting really long-winded. No, no, it's good. It's good. You're, you're actually talking, which is yes. great. <laughs> no, um, so I, I am not a very spiritual person myself, but I really always admire that in other people, like when people use their spirituality to sort of take care of themselves and to sort of like put the world in perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's genuinely something very admirable about you that I wish I had in me. I mean, but. hey, anyone can, I mean, maybe spirituality, like, religion is not for everyone. In spirituality, like, you don't necessarily have to believe in any higher power, but you can, you can be your own power, higher power. It's a matter of, like, truly just believing in what you're capable of, and um, sometimes it's just accepting that thoughts, you're thinking thoughts, and not creating friction with those thoughts. To me, I mean, that's what yoga is, is just being able to take a minute and not fight any patterns, any any thoughts that you might be having, and just let them go by and watch them happen. Mm -hmm. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So activism. Let's yes, get onto that. Let's get into that. Um, so, what drives you to activism? Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, this like broad concept of making the world a better place. Let's <laughs> let's dive in. Yeah. You know? um, so for me. My activist energy started when I was younger, um, and I actually tell this story quite a lot, but sometimes you have to tell stories you're passionate about over and over again. People are sometimes forgetful. Um, and so I, when I was younger, there was a moment where my mother took away my favorite food, and it just so happened to be like the worst brand of Indian noodles. And I had basically lived off of these Indian noodles my whole life, and so I really didn't want her to take those away. Um, and so I manufactured like a makeshift protest with popsicle sticks and old poster boards and like gathered the kids around my street and we protested and my parents ended up making you know this Indian brand of noodles for the street and this was back when I lived in Ohio um, but I think that activist energy has really carried throughout I think I've always just been a very loud person that likes to take up space unapologetically um, and so there, there's that element of it just sort of runs in my blood to be this very loud and speak up uh, speak up -y kind of person advocacy runs in my blood and I think it was easy to know that I wanted the position, but it was also a lot of finding purpose. Um, I'm not a believer in just holding a position without purpose. I strongly, I strongly, strongly believe that you need to be fighting for something that you truly believe in. Um, and if you do, everything will work out in the end. And so I got into dismantling inter internalized sexism when I was um, like in sixth and seventh grade. I think that there was, I dealt with a lot of confidence issues when I, were, when I was younger. Um, I just didn't look like all the princesses in the book, and I didn't look like everyone in the movies. And that was, I mean, that was painful. Um, I just didn't know, because everyone in every book that I had ever seen that was accomplishing something didn't look like me, and everyone that I had ever seen in any book 
that was loved didn't look like me. So I didn't think I was worthy of being loved or worthy of accomplishing anything. And eventually I was able to trace that down to a lot of internalized uh, racism. So I strongly, I got, I mean, whitewashing is already a huge thing in India, but there was a large part of me for a while that did want to not be Indian because I just didn't believe that that was my avenue to success. And on top of that, being a female, it was much harder because I just didn't think that that was a female's place. Um, to go out there and accomplish anything. And eventually I recognized that that was all internalized hatred. And so I had to dismantle that. So I spent a lot of my middle school career sort of unlearning everything that I had learned um, that was wrong, that was hateful towards myself. Uh, and then I realized that this same hatred runs in a lot of young women. Um, and I, I mean, it runs in everyone, but for me, that my target group was, was young women. And I wanted to make sure that young women of color didn't have to feel this way. And young women in general were, felt as if they were able to accomplish anything. Um, and so my activism took place in, form of, um, in the form of like feminism and fighting for women's rights um, and battling in, internalized institutional and structural sexism and racism. Um, so as I went on, you know, I started a nonprofit on humanitarian aid because for a while I got really into foreign policy. Uh, and then, you know, a couple years later, I found Rise to Run on Twitter and I joined them and started coordinating the state of Virginia and uh, more specifically Northern Virginia for them in raising young women to run for office to show that there are other young people out there that are doing really great things. And on top of it, there are a lot of really fantastic women who have all, already accomplished these great things that are willing to work with you. And for me, representation is important for that reason. There need to be people out there that look like you, that have lived your experiences doing what you want to do, because otherwise young people don't see them doing whatever it is that they might want to do. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's where my activism uh, is rooted from and where it started. Yeah, no, like definitely like having known you for a few years now, like um, that you mentioned having this sort of loud, unapologetic aura to you that I like genuinely really admire. Oh, you're I, so sweet. No, like I genuinely like really admire everything about you just because you were like so. Like, Ditto. No, like you were, you were younger than me by several months, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> you seem so much more like mature and like. You, you are mature in every way. You ha you have yourself together and <laughs> have yourself composed and. You, you take up space in a way that is not like overbearing, but is instead sort of inviting, I guess. Thank you, that's yeah. really sweet. And it's it's genuinely so important to me to see women that do that because mm -hmm. I I personally like am still trying to deal with that sort of internalized misogyny yeah. within me and like in, in my case, like internalized homophobia that mm -hmm. like leads to like, oh, do I look too butch to do this? Yeah. Do I, um, so on and so forth. And I've been in a class with all sh kind of shitty dudes <laughs> in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. And like whenever I speak up, I'm like, even if I haven't spoken for like 15 minutes, I'm afraid like, oh, they're gonna think I'm annoying because yeah. I'm talking too much. And then I'm like calling myself on it, but like, I'm like trying to overcome that. Like, out of those patterns, yeah. I'm too loud, I'm taking up too much space. So, like, how do you, I guess, just because I know this is not just a me thing, not just a <laughs> thing, it's an everyone thing, yeah. like, how do you suggest that um, women and woman-line people, like, how do you suggest that they take up space confidently? Um, I think it's really a matter of not creating friction with your fears. I think that it's a really exhausting fight to get up every day and convince yourself that you're allowed, that if you take up space that everyone will like you and it's okay. Because to an extent, that's not true. 
there are always going to be people out there that hate that you take up space. And there are always going to be people out there that call you too loud or too bossy or whatever it might be. Um, or unladylike, which is my least oh, favorite. Oh, God. Yeah. And those, those statements will always exist. And that level of hatred, you know, it will always exist. But coming to terms with that and sort of recognizing that you don't care and that what you have to say to you is worth it. And what you have to say is something that's manifesting within your heart. What you have to say is creating a fire within you that you have to let out. That's what keeps, that's what lets you take up space. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I am an overbearing person. I can be, I'm a loud personality. There's not, I don't necessarily get along with everyone in the world. And some people find me really, really overwhelming when I meet them because I am loud. I love hugs and I love being this really, really, really out-of-the-box personality that takes up so much more space than a five-foot-one female ever possibly could with her just height in general. Um, you really five-foot-one? Yeah, I'm a you small, see, I'm a small gal. You seem taller. Thanks. It's it's a constant effort. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's what's the quote? People can only make you feel bad about yourself if you let them. Um, um, so really, like, it's a matter of like recognizing that people can only make you feel bad about yourself if you let them and if you don't let them then nothing can bother you that's so much easier said than done though and what you're doing on that path to making yourself feel like you're allowed to speak up is so important recognizing those negative patterns and every time you have a negative pattern just faking saying something positive back to you for me a lot of like finding my confidence was faking it until I made it right like dyeing my hair pink joining student government speaking up doing crazy crazy things nice pink hair um, dyeing your hair pink is the first step to, liber to I, liberation I really do think that it is I'm, I'm convinced that that is the secret I'm sorry to enlightenment um, just doing anything that pushes you out of your comfort zone and then recognizing that you are so capable in every situation that you are in. And if you just trust your in, in, instincts and go with your gut, and to an extent, use common sense and are rational, and just don't psych yourself out. You know, what you have to say, maybe it's stupid. Maybe it is something that like you didn't think through and then you're gonna look back on like 10 years from now and be like, why in God's name did I say that? Maybe, but we all need to fail. Like you don't get to pick and choose your failures. You just don't. They will come as they come. I might one day get up on stage, throw up, completely forget my speech, and call it a day. That's okay. I don't get to pick and choose my failures, and honestly, I would rather get them done than wait for them to happen. So, I mean, the more you speak up, the more you do, the more experience you have to fail. And that's such a good thing, because from failure comes success. Um, I don't know. Just recognize that what you have to say is important. I know that it's impossible to believe that, and honestly, other people may not agree. They may never agree. That's okay. I still have so much trouble believing that it's okay for me to take up the space that I take up and believing that like, on a stage in front of 750 people, I deserve to be the one that's speaking up and representing all of young people. That's so hard. It's so hard to convince myself that I am like accredited and cool enough to do something like that because I think I'm lame. I think I'm an 80-year-old woman. But at the same time, you have to be able to reflect on your experience and your life and say, hey, Look at this, like I run two nonprofits. I do all of these things with young people. I have made mistakes and I have learned and I am in a place where I consider myself mildly successful because I've worked for it. Recognizing that you have worked 30. for it. Yeah, like, <laughs> thanks. Um, recognizing that you've worked for whatever it is that you want to talk about is so important. Um, yeah, you just need to justify it to yourself. You don't need to justify anyone else's emotions. Yell at yourself in the mirror every morning that you're good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Look at yourself every day in the mirror. Tell yourself that you're beautiful and smile even if it's 
even if you feel like none of it's true and walk like you own the place and when you enter a room be that person that lights it up and even if you don't think anyone else believes that you are convince yourself that you are if you convince yourself you're the shit like all men do you'll be okay yeah yeah, it's like the, there was like a tweet or a Tumblr post a few years back, like carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually really funny. That's a point that's come up quite a bit in panels that I've done is, um, well, the, the main statistic is like women have to be asked five times to run for office for every time that a male has to be asked. So already that's flooring. Um, but on top of it, what's even funnier is that women really, we tend to overthink things. We tend to think about every word that comes out of our mouth, we tend to be tactful. I'm not speaking for everyone. There are a lot of people out there that are women that say stuff that I solely just disagree with. And I wonder, how in God's name did you think that it was okay to say that? Because um, you're really like poorly representing the entirety of female kind. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, what were we saying? Um, carry yourself with the Yeah, thank you. Carry yourself with the confidence of a man because they don't have to be asked five times to run for office. They get told once or maybe just think about it one day in a dream randomly when they're a businessman that has been uh, in the entertainment industry and they'll do it. Um, you tell a man that they can do literally anything once and they'll get up and go do it. So When Matt Dr Damon dreams about running for office, what state does he imagine he's in? A, I think about that daily. Sorry. Think about, I do th I, me too, dude. Don't worry. So I'm, I'm really trying to get to a point where we don't have to ask women to run for office five different times before they choose to do it. I'm really trying to get to a point where we no longer have to, you know, ask women to do everything that they're already capable of. Just recognize, just recognize when what you have to say is important, and maybe this will help. Would a dude say it? If a dude is going to get up there and say it without remorse, then you're totally capable of doing it too. And probably better. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be like misandrist or anything, but I'm just trying to empower young women. I'm trying to be misandrist. <laughs> I'm just trying to empower young women. Um, yeah. I think it's really important. All right, so um, so young women running for office. Yes. Like, how do we do that? Like, last night, as we are recording this, mm -hmm. um, we saw that um, upset in in Queens, which yes. is incredible. Like, yes, I, yes, adore, yes. I adore her platform. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, how do we facilitate getting more women like, number one, invested in this process, and number two, like, actually, like, knowing that they can run and can win. Yeah, so it really starts with one person. If there is one woman out there, like Miss Cortez did, that can step up and run office with a kick-butt campaign that stands up for other women, other women are going to get up and want to do it, too. Um, and I think in addition to that, women like to feel supported. Everyone likes to feel supported. Everyone likes to know that like, if they have a moment where they fail or generally just make a mistake, that there are people out there that are willing to give them a second chance and they have a crew that they can rely on. Mm -hmm. um, Phyllis Randall, our chair at large the other day, gave a speech at the Virginia Women's Summit and she got up and she told this story about how her son was explaining the new slang to her. And she said, my son called his friends uh, his crew. And so she said, well, what does a crew mean? Um, and her son responded, a crew is someone that's got your back, that will fight for you to the end of the earth. And honestly, women, we need our crew. We are each other's crew. Yeah. Um, holding each other up, doing things like this, where we get to show young women, teenagers that... They can do cool shit. Yeah, they can cool literally shit. do anything that they want to do, and they've got a whole team of supportive people behind them. Like, when I fell into the grassroots, literally, like, I tripped into Barb, um, Barb Jones, who Barb. is, yeah, one of the best grassroots uh, organizers out there, 
I tripped it to her at my first speech. Um, it was the first time I was talking about Rise Toronto, and I was talking to Loudoun County Democrats. And so I rolled up, uh, opened the door, tripped into Barb, and then she just introduced me to a bunch of people, convinced me to get business cards, exchanged business cards with a bajillion other people, and now Rise to Run is, you know, like taking the state of Virginia by storm. Um, and yeah, and a lot of it is attributed to these awesome women at Network Nova and these awesome team, this awesome team of females and like government officials that we have on our advisory board that are, like guiding us through it. We don't know all the secrets. We don't know anything. It is so much easier to get involved and convince yourself you can run for office when you've got a team of supporters. And now, even if I wanted to, even if I feared running for office in this in this current political climate, I can look all of those females in the eye. I mean, I wouldn't be able to look them all in the eye and tell them that I'm not going to run because I'm scared, because there's no reason to be scared anymore. They are my crew. They have got my back. And I know that when I go off to college, when I go to Germany next year, no matter what it is that I'm doing, when I come back and stand up for them, they will stand for me. And young women out there need to know that. Women all over the country and all over this world need to know that, because when they know they've got a crew of supporters, they're going to run for office. All right, so I like to sort of use this question as sort of a universal like wrap up thing. Cool. So, what song is like your vibe right now? What song like ooh, is you in this moment? <laughs> um, been listening to a lot of classical recently. Um, kind of, I think definitely a weird place. I've been doing a lot of reading. So, when I read, I like to listen to classical. Um, anything by Kamazi Washington, which is not classical, by the way, that's actually like contemporary jazz. But anything by Kamazi Washington uh, is awesome. He makes like 13-minute uh, songs. She, he is, uh, I think that, I think he's Kendrick Lamar's uh, saxophone player, which is how I found him. Or is it saxophone? It might not be saxophone. Um, some instrument widely used in jazz. Um, and that's how I found him, and I've just endlessly been listening to him for about the last year or so. Uh, it's pleasant, uh, empowering. It gives you sort of that airy sense, um, you know, when you like smell lotion and it feels kind of uh, airy or empty or yeah. kind of smells like perfumely scented butter. Oh. That's sort of what he makes me uh, feel like. And it hits the reset button during my activism. Um, Jazz is always like very good. Yes, very pleasant. Maybe it's elevator music to other people, but you know, I like my elevators, so it's okay. Not to go Ryan Gosling, but jazz is important. No, I'm not going to do a La La Land bit on this show. I'm above that. You know? um, hey, it's your show, girl. Do whatever you feel. Yeah, I'm not doing a La La Land bit. I feel bad about it every time I make fun of La La Land, even though I shouldn't. It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, Kamazi Washington, highly recommend. Go listen to him. Um, Smino has been like my pop music recent, not my pop. I don't know, even know what you would classify him classify him as. Probably like R and B. Um, Smino's great. Anita is a beautiful song by him. Um, yeah. I mean, none of none of it really ties into activism. I think if you're looking for activist music, uh, Hillary Clinton's Women's Empowerment Playlist is always a good bet. It's what I play at all of our Rise Trend meetings. It's what I play during GOTV. It's what I played on Election Day. You know, it's like the most kick-butt uh, playlist out there. So if that's what you're looking for, uh, empowering music for women's rights activism, which is something I'm always looking for, that's my playlist like, recommendation. Ooh. All right. Thank you so much cool. for sitting down with me. This Thanks has been really fun. Me. It's been nice seeing you again. Yes. Just it's been a while. I'm sorry if you rambled on a bit much. No, I have a no, lot to say. Did, no, it's good. No, yeah. it's genuinely very good. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stop recording this now because cool. I'm just going to press that hot space button.
everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Four Teenage Girls. I want to thank Pooja Tanjore, who so gracefully let me interview her. She is such a delight. She is one of the kindest, funniest people I know. I keep hyper-complimenting her, but that's because I feel like no words will ever do her justice, I guess. Yeah, I also want to thank uh, Zoe Crawley for the use of our theme song, Sunday Afternoons, off of her album in four years. Check it out on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to music. She's great. She's so funny and good. I love her music a lot. Yeah, Um, her music is going to be featured in episode one of my other podcast, Violet Beach. Season three is out on July 31st, so please check that out. Catch up if you haven't already. Um, Yeah. Check me out on Twitter at Highland. Check this show out on Twitter at Teenage Girls Pod. Um, if you're interested in the show, want to learn more, maybe want to participate, check out 4teenagegirls.com for more information on it. And yeah, thank you so much. I love you. Bye.